Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here today with Tiffany Faison and she is definitely wearing a wool cap because it's cold in Boston right now. And it's, I would say it's about 55 here right now, which is not, it's not good. I would prefer it to be cold and rainy right now because that's what we need. But. Okay, because that's there's a difference between that's what we need, and I'm I'm apologizing for it being fucking beautiful. So, <laughs> um, let me just check what it's exactly. It's 26 degrees with a wind chill of 14. Awesome! I miss yeah. New England. I'm a New England. I moved from San Francisco to here. What was I thinking? Not like an East. I mean, not a native East Coaster. Am now. So. Let's start at the beginning. Like you grew up in Santa Rosa, correct? I grew up like kind of everywhere. I was an army kid, but I ended up, um, we moved to Santa Rosa like the right after Christmas break. So after winter break in my eighth grade year, which is, let me tell you a really fun time to like insert yourself into like a completely different culture in a different area of the country in junior high. It was murder. It was awful. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things for me that's interesting is hearing all about how you're getting to where you are now. And that's, you know, you, you like burst onto the scene with Top Chef, the first season. We all remember watching it. I actually remember walking the farmer's market with the production crew. And, you know, I remember that a long time ago. I was actually talking to them about going on it and then they never called me back, which is pretty fucking funny. You're probably too skilled and not dramatic enough at the time. So I was skilled enough. I was just no. The criteria was totally different in the beginning. You know, like I mean, they have even said in like conversation that I'm sure they wouldn't have publicly that they were like very much like even the judges were like, who's the Simon and who's the like? It was like American Idol kind of stuff and like how do we cast for? um, I mean, it was. I think my season was the only season that was like there's like a nutritionist and a home cook and like this it was across the board just like very very different it wasn't all professional chefs so which I thought it would be what was it like I mean I think I look back at that and you've been back on since it's not like you haven't gone back no I went back I did a couple specials and I did all-stars but I didn't do I did it for different reasons I, I needed to like fix it for myself I think in some ways like um I felt so like horrible about all of it after I left and in a thousand different ways. And um, I didn't want to leave it as this like gaping wound in my life. So I needed to kind of attempt to full circle it. Um, And I think in some ways I got what I needed out of it, um, like going back, but it was rough. It was fucking rough. I mean, I watch it now and look at the difference and it's two totally polar opposites. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, in addition to like the show just continuing to evolve and understand, um, I mean, really it's ensconce itself in the industry and understand more of like what our lives are like and understanding what um, it means to be a chef. And I'm not saying they still have like a a full understanding, but it's better. Um, You know, we didn't, I think this was like what it was, we shot in 2005 and it aired in 2006. there was no understanding of like what it meant to like be a chef from day to day and what our lives were like. Um, we didn't understand that as a country We certainly didn't under, they didn't understand it as a production crew yet. Um, and we also saw women really differently back then. Not that we see them properly now, but the combination of those two fucking things were murder for me. So I was like, I'm just a chef. It's fine. This is how we are. And everyone was like, you're a fucking nightmare. <laughs> so how did you know, in, prior to that, what, how did you start cooking? What led you into the kitchen? Because I think a lot of people don't understand that drive to want to run a kitchen and to be in the kitchen and, and have your hands dirty and go home smelling like a goat and garlic every day. And garlic and onions every day. <laughs> um, I started in working in restaurants when I was 14. So my first job was like the, I was the milkshake girl at a 50s liner in Santa Rosa. Um, oh, and I, 
loved it. I loved it. I made like $30 in tips a day. I thought it was rich. Um, and it was like, I got so addicted to like the pace of it. Like I had tickets printing in my little milkshake station. Um, and I would make all the like desserts and milkshakes. And there was like no really in-house stuff. It was like, I was like, you know, it, it, it was not at all like high quality restaurant stuff, but you know, I had like four milkshakes spinning on a spinner and I figured out how to get my rag frozen enough to like get them to like not move and like do other things. And so the chaos and the pace of it and like keeping up and then being like the best person that works the milkshake station became so addictive. And then, you know, we would run our own desserts to tables and we had like shitty canned whipped cream. And I would like put way more than anyone else would and then, you know, take it to tables and be like, Whoa! And so like all of it just became so addicting, like the pace and getting things done and being really good at it. And then like having this instant feedback from tables that were like, wow. Um, I mean, if someone delivered those desserts to me now, I would probably be like, oh, you do a little less on the whipped cream, kid. But, um, you know, it was just like all of those things that ultimately are the, I think like where there are neurons is chef's fire was like in early on. And it was like, oh, this imprint is here. Um, so I started there and then I ended up working front of the house um, for a while, like through high school and what little I did of college and then um, working in like finer dining, worked at a brewery, worked at, I worked at Planet Hollywood in San Francisco. That must have, what's interesting about that though, is that must have taught you systems and seen things. Oh, you have no idea. Like I remember having to pass like a cocktail quiz that was like, you had to know what was in the Terminator. And there was like 14 ingredients in the Terminator. <laughs> like, and you had to, like, I was 19 at this point. I like had to get all this stuff right. And, and yeah, they were strong on systems. And, um, and I learned how to like expo there. And, um, you know, I thought it was like cool at the time or else I would never have applied. It was just the cheesiest, but I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and then I ultimately started working at, I don't know if you remember, do you remember 24? It was, um, I think Tracy has it now. It's attached to, well, what's now AT&T Park. If you're staring at the park, it's the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. the right-hand side. So I opened that restaurant. That was, and it was the first year of Packville Park. So um, I bartended in that restaurant and um, that was in the first dot-com craze when like every 22-year-old was a millionaire, like throwing money at us. Um, so that was like, you know, kind of my experience coming through the industry and it was mostly front of the house. And then I went through a bad breakup and my brother was in grad school here at Emerson and said, you know, you can always just like crash on my couch. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I like packed on my, packed a couple of duffel bags and like crashed on my brother's couch. Um, so I moved here and started slinging drinks at Lucky's. This is, um, then I got answered an ad and ended up, up bar managing at the Ritz Carlton and opening a new hotel here. That was a fucking disaster. I was way too young for it. I was in over my head. And 9-11 happened and I was just like, oh man, I can't do this anymore. Like it was the first time I'd ever even thought about my mortality or like, aside from just bouncing from one shiny thing to another, like it was the first time I thought about like, what do, what, what do I want? And I didn't know. And I just, um, I wanted less responsibility at the time because I just moved to Boston. And so I just thought like, oh, I'll, um, I'll just go bartend somewhere and just get to know the city and have some fun. So I applied, Todd English was opening this place called Bonfire and I didn't even know who Todd English was. I don't think I even really knew what like the idea of a celebrity chef was at the time. I just kind of had this sense that I wanted to work in that restaurant. And so I applied, my resume didn't make it to anyone that called me back. And I, I don't know why I just wanted to be there. So I ultimately went in, just said like, ended up talking to the GM who was just back from vacation and said, I you know really like to be here. And she said, all I have left is a buster position. I was like, okay, done. I mean, I definitely was like swallowed my pride a little bit. And she said, are you sure you want this? And I said, yeah, yeah. So from busser to runner and like, a, you know, four days runner to inside expo. And that's where it started. And so I was like watching the kitchen. Um, and I just was so attracted to it in a way that I had not really considered it before. Um, and so I pestered my chef to learn a station. I hadn't gone to culinary school. They, it was like, you know, all these young guys that were like just out of Necky and CIA, like running around. And um, I had to like, I stayed on for a couple months and they just said, okay, like, we'll put you on a station. We'll, we'll teach you. But like, when you quit, you have to come back and expo. Like you can't just like leave the restaurant. It's like, okay, but thanks for when I quit. Okay. Um, I started, <laughs> yeah. 
that. Yeah. That's, like, that's kind of like a shitty backhanded comment right there. Like, because we know we don't think you're going to make it in the kitchen. So if you quit being in the kitchen, you still have to stay to do expo. So you know how kitchens are. You know how chefs are. It's not if you quit, it's when. So, when? I mean, in fairness, like it was a really high volume, finer dining kitchen. And um, like, I wouldn't give someone a high probability of like surviving in it. So, so I started and I was awful, like really fucking bad. Like, I remember at one point my chef looked at me and said, how do you not know how to cut an onion? And I looked at him like half like total dick and half like incredulous. And I was like, well, how would I like maybe do some fucking work on your own? And that was the moment that I was like, okay, like I've got to figure this out. I can't just be here with a chip on my shoulder. Like I deserve to be here because I've been in restaurants for a long time. So I got a moleskin and I got serious and I was the first in and the last out and was supposed to go into the bar at night. I got LaRue's gastronomy and this is before we could like beep, boop, beep, boop, Google. There was none of that. YouTube videos on how to cut an onion. Yeah, none of that. It didn't <laughs> exist. So my little flip phone didn't have the internet on it. So um, yeah, I had to like really dig in and do research. And so I would stay up at night, my shitty apartment, my futon mat on the floor and like one thing I looked up and learned led to another, led to another. And like, I just kept going and I was still like hated it. Like really, really hated it. But I knew that they were waiting for me to fail. And so at the same time, I didn't, I wasn't in love with Boston and I was really homesick. And I just, I think there's this thing that I, I just, I knew everyone what like from people in San Francisco to my current boss, everyone was just like waiting for me to quit and like move back home and do take go back to bartending or whatever take the easier road and I think that pressure of like at least don't fail this like don't quit this so it, it really I don't know it permeated me all to my core and so I had this sense of but I made a promise to myself and I said when you don't hate cooking and you don't hate Boston you can quit and you can move back home or you can go wherever else or you can choose to do something else and then I don't know. It was like a year and a half later, I looked up and like, I'd fallen in love with both Boston and cooking and it wasn't much better, but, um, I was, I mean, it was a little better. Um, it, at some point it clicked and it like felt like a glove. Um, and that was kind of it. I mean, it wasn't like, I was like a chef at that point. I was just like a functioning line cook. So, um, but I enjoyed it and I didn't feel like I was getting my ass kicked in the kitchen every day. And like probably every other week I'd have like a Saturday night where I would just fucking go down, but like, I was still, you know, I was fighting it out and I, I fell in love with all those like things that we were talking about, you know, working the milkshake station. Once you're not, those feelings are only addictive when you're pretty good at something, right? Like when you're just going down every night, night after night, like you don't, there's that like addict, I need this. I can get through these tickets feeling doesn't exist. It's just like, oh, this is miserable. I'm sinking all the time. Um, so, but once you start, like once you nail a night and you have like a good night, and you want another good night and then you have a run of good nights and like that's when all that shit starts like popping and you're like this is who i am and then you get cocky and then you shit the bed and then you shit the bed <laughs> and, <then laughs> and when you shit the bed it's epic it's not just like oh little it's just the full and the whole team looks at you like what are you okay. doing today exactly like Why where did you? this come from <laughs> Yep. Because the whole team starts trying yeah, to it, everyone goes down with you or or they recognize that you're doing it and in a better kitchen they'll go and help you out if you accept help. Strong cook knows how to ask for help. Yep. The cooks that don't ask for help are the worst. It's, it's a really you know, you said some really interesting things that I think um I resonate with you know really, really well is is that sometimes someone else's perception of you powers you to be stronger to fight. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really, really powerful tool. And I think if you can learn, which you did, to utilize that to push forward, it's amazing, right? Because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're not going to make it. You can't do this. You're not smart enough. You don't have the skill set. And it kind of sits in the back of your head the whole time. And it's like this it's almost like it's anger and you're using anger to fuel the fire. It's exactly that. It's not almost anger. It's definitely anger. It's like- I'm trying to be somewhat nice about it because I, I mean, I get it a hundred percent. I yep. totally, that is one of the most powerful things. They're like, yeah, you're not going to make it in DC. You're not going to make it when you get there. You're going to yeah. you know, spiral out of control. 
And it's amazing when someone says you can't, how you want to prove you can. The best way to get me to do push-ups is like stand on my back. You know what I mean? It's just like, and I didn't, sometimes you don't know that about yourself. And I've gotten to a place for in my life where I'm like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Like I don't have to, I don't feel like I have to prove everything anymore, but you know, it can work in reverse too. It can be really damaging to people. And I think we see that in um, a generation of cooks that we're dealing with. Like I, I haven't seen people respond to pressure like that um, in a long time um, where it like fuels them to succeed and to push. I see people, um, and I think this is, has a lot to do with a thousand different things that I'm frankly not qualified to talk about. I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist, but um, I see people really struggle under that type of pressure. And so that like, you're going to fail. And, and I don't want to do that anyway, but um, we, the pressure is different that we put on people now. And like, whatever, like being under the gun is the gun has to change and it has changed or else like, I've just, I just watched cooks crumble and can't function. And so I don't know. I don't think it's, it's a motivator for everyone. Um, for me, it was for a really, really long time. But I think for, for a lot of us, well, you and I, 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 those pressures didn't come from my superiors. Those pressures came from other people. Yeah. They yeah. weren't coming from my bosses. They weren't coming from my chefs. They weren't coming from my sous chefs. They were coming from elsewhere. My chefs that I worked with were like, dude, you read too much or like, just put your head down. Don't ask so many questions. Stop overthinking Stop. everything. Yeah. Stop overthinking. Like I'll never forget asking Bob Kincaid. I was like, so what is it you like about the flavor of artichokes? He was like, just peel the fucking artichokes. <laughs> but I get that with like some of my young cooks that like ask these real, really esoteric questions. And I'm like, can we just focus on the fucking basics, please? <laughs> down like can you worry can you just not have your apron be the dirtiest thing i've ever seen oh station please like let's worry about that stuff before we worry about like the bigger questions that we all need to answer when you're 40. I, I keep saying everything's about the legs to stand on right like you have to have a foundation to work on and then you know then you could go from there build that strong foundation of techniques and and like each now basic protocols like have your have a notebook, have your moleskin, don't ever use a Sharpie to write in it. Because if you go to look back at it in maybe three months, what you wrote becomes a giant big black shield. It just, it spreads. The ink continues to spread folks, you know, basics, have a pencil. Three pages of your moleskin for one yeah. note. Yeah. And, and, you know, have a pencil, draw diagrams because you remember things more. I mean, that's how we did it, right? You would draw your station setup. You would write like ninth pan, what was in it? Like, and all that, you would do the whole dive, right? Can I just tell you, hold on. Yes, but it was, I went down so many nights, so many nights, so many nights in a row. Before one of my chef came, came back in my station, was like, why is this like this? Like set your nine pans up and your six pans, like dish by dish by dish. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I don't know. I must've been like three months into like cooking before I knew that you could move them all around. <laughs> I didn't fucking know. Like my head exploded. I was like, what? Like they don't have to be like, I mean, I knew they moved. I set it up every day, but I thought it had to be exactly the way it was when I like walked on the station and I just like my head exploded. I was like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was that like that remedial when I first started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started in, in prep. Yeah. I turned down a job to make $40,000 a year as a sous chef, which I would have been way underqualified for right out of culinary school to take eight bucks an hour to be a prep cook for Mark Miller. Yeah. And I was, and I remember calling my mom, I got a job. She's like, great, you're moving to Washington, DC. I'm going to be a prep cook for Mark Miller. And she goes, okay, who's that? And I said, oh, he's this brilliant chef, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, okay, what is your wage? And I said, eight dollars an hour. And she goes, you mean you turned down the other job? I thought I was going to be dead meat, but you know, we make those decisions to move forward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I took a huge hit to become a line cook and, and then didn't make any money for a really long time. And I think, you know, we have this conversation about wage disparity right now and no one should have to like live in abject poverty to do anything, work yeah. as many hours as we do. But at the same time, I think there was this understanding of like commitment to craft and really learning craft, talking about foundation again, which is it's such a hard thing to like, to preach. 
and to get into people's heads and have them understand why it's so important. And frankly, you have to, there has to be a mix between like foundation and razzle dazzle now, because if there's not at least a little razzle dazzle, people are out. Like they expect some sort of like fireworks in their lives. And if you're just all foundational, like they're not there for it. And it's so has to be a mix, but um, yeah, it was, it's, there was an understanding back when we were growing up that like, you didn't earn anything until you did, you know, and you worked up all these levels until you finally kind of, you know, were able to make a living for yourself. And you, I, I don't know, I can't, I guess I was, I bought into that. I also didn't come from any sort of like financial, like like a family that could help or background or like, so making nothing wasn't like that hard for me. It was just like, I've been here before. Like I have, I live in a house with like six people. Like, yeah, that, I think that helps, right? It's like, it did help. I think that was a big, big push. It's like, okay, how am I going to make this work? Okay, uh, cup of noodles. They're awesome. Like, Showing they're- up at the restaurant on your days off for staff meal. Staff meal. <laughs> yep. Or I would like stage. I was staged a lot on my days off, one, to learn, and two, to make sure that I always had a meal. So, I mean, in that in that order, learning and then all being fed. But um, but yeah, like I would, and I would, I remember, and I say this to some of my younger cooks now that I know maybe don't have a lot of like financial backing in their lives. Like if before we take staff meal away, I all either cord it up for them or get them to cord it up. And I was like, put this in your freezer, like take this home. You know, if it's, if it's a good one, if it's not like slop, right. It's not like, slop too, <laughs> who made staff meal today? <laughs> That's always the car. Who made staff meal today? Did you really think about your teammates when you made this today? It's not kanji. This is yeah. not kanji. like you can call it kanji. There's some like overcooked rice in here, but it's not kanji. It's not- but yeah, like stuff like that. Like take stuff home. I used to sell toilet paper from the restaurant. So I didn't have to buy it at home. <laughs> That's amazing. But see, I think that's, I think that really, I mean, you put your head down to get where you want to be. And I think, so let's jump forward again, like, you know, Top Chef happens. How did that change things for you? What did that do for you? Not only professionally, but personally, because, you know, that was a big, like, that was an explosion on television. Like nobody had ever seen anything like that before. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. So I had to, I was working uh, for Danielle at the Wynn in Las Vegas and went on Top Chef and it's a union house. So they didn't hold my job. Um, also you're gone for, it was five or six weeks um, filming and they don't pay you to do that. So and I put into context, no phone. You can't t- speak to anybody. You have no music. You have no books, magazines, or any connectivity to the outside world, right? None. None. In a house with everybody. Yep. And there's lots of alcohol and you have to, yeah, you have to live with all of these other people um, and people's boundaries and respect for your privacy or whatever it might be. Um, like it's not, there's just no time to say like, Hey, I just need a little time for myself. I just need to like go recharge. Can I, there's none of that. And, you know, from early in the morning, you're like up and out of the house and like doing these challenges and in the studio and out to wherever. And then you're back at like one, two, three o'clock in the morning um there's a ton of alcohol always provided in the house I think they might be a little bit better about it now but just booze fueled everything um kind of the, it was uh yeah it wasn't easy and I'm, I'm someone who needs a lot of time to myself um and not getting that it just it makes you a crazy person they also you know it's interesting like you fill out all this stuff before you go on and um they ask you like what your pet peeves are and like what kind of people you get along with and kind of people you don't get along with. And so they're like, you know, roommate situation is like, let me take this person that you are the least likely to get along with and put them in this like room with you. That's like the tiniest thing ever. So my roommate, God bless her. She's lovely, but she was like in a, a former model, aspiring chef. And I was like, like how many bangles do you have on to cook today? kind of situation. So, you know, and I, you know, I was very like chip on my shoulder. I'm a fucking cook. I'm a real cook. You're not, which is not fair. Like, um, and so it just, and it was, you know, it's that it's just a thousand different personalities trying to work it out in the house together. And, um, yeah, it's not easy and you're, you're overly tired. So you're running on like exhaustion and adrenaline all the time. I was just talking to Leanne about this the other day. And I was like, do you remember when they came to the house and they were giving us all like, like antibiotic shots in the ass? Cause we were all sick. Like it, towards the end of it, as we got like closer to the end, we were sick. Like it was me, Harold, Leanne, Dave, 
forget who went out, but maybe Steven and uh, maybe Steven was gone. But I remember like the four of us getting like, like having a doctor come to the house and like giving us shots in the ass because we were like all just like sick and they needed to finish. I forgot Leanne Wong was on that, that opening season with you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I just got to see her. It was amazing to like hang out and chat for a while. I love her. She's unreal. She's unbelievable. She went on to then be back of the house culinary production for the whole for the whole show. She did. Multiple people did. So Leanne did. I think she was the first culinary producer, kind of set the standard. Um, I think Jamie Lauren did it for a while, and then Sandy Birdsong, I think, is still there. So Sandy's yes, Sandy is there. I saw her not too long ago. Gotcha. Yeah. I so, love Sandy. Sandy was on my season of Top Chef Masters too. Really? Yeah. She's yeah. Um, she's 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 crazy. She's a wild one. She's tough, which I like. And yep. she holds the rules to the rules. Yep. And that's something I think is really important that people understand that we talk about that because you and I have done tons of competition TV, right? The rules are the fucking rules. They have to be. And it's bullshit. And everybody that's at home being a couch culinarian telling us and yelling at the TV saying things have no idea how hard those moments really are and how true to what they say they are, they are. They are like, as it's like, okay, that buzzer goes like this and you're running and it's running. Like there's no bullshit about it. There's no like stop downs, play arounds. It's like, here are the rules, ready, set, go. And you, and if you're not done, you're not done. Like- Rules in time and they can't, they're the great equalizer. Cause there's a bunch of other shit that can change and, um, I think that the clock can never change and the rules can never change. And there's things that we've had to address. Like I remember being on all stars and we were doing like um, a quick fire and it was like, like Tom was the beginning of the quick fire. And it was like, however long it takes Tom to cook a dish is the amount of time we all get to cook a dish for a quick fire. And the prize was a fucking car. And I was like, okay, first of all, Tom was by himself in the kitchen, had to like run to a fridge that everything was like, conveniently just like in the fridge ready to go the entire dish and I was like oh great um had the fucking kitchen to himself so did like a you know like a roasted filet of bronzino in like eight minutes and like nine minutes let's call it nine minutes and so then you take I think at this point there's still like 12 or 13 of us in all stars um that's a lot of hanging heads and people crossing paths and and we're behind tables have to run to a pantry and run to like the the fridge and all the stuff and it's like me and I'm for people who don't know I'm five two I'm like I'm a little guy like I'm fast and I'm scrappy but you can only be so much so fast and scrappy and it was like Trey Mike Isabella I was like hold on I was like something has to like work out with this or because it's not fair to just ask us to like give up or get our asses kicked so can we work something out around this so we ended up drawing out of a hat for like stations and where we would start. It didn't help at all. I don't expect to be given a head start because I'm like, you know, a foot smaller than everyone else, but it still was like the like fight to get to stuff was just like, I mean, I got elbowed in the face. I was just like, you know what? This is, I don't want a fucking Prius anyway. Only assholes drive Priuses. So fuck this. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Come on. I remember, I remember like I made chowder and um, I was so it's so funny. Like some competitions, you're really like in your own, you're in your mind and you're in control of things. And sometimes you're just like in a fucking blackout. And I remember a producer saying like, is there something else you want to put on that dish? And I was like, no, time's called like time's time. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, and they kept asking me like, is there something else you want to put on that dish? And I was like, I understand what you're asking. And I ended up going back to like stew or holding or something later on that day and like putting my hands in my pocket and like, fried like crumpled bacon bits in my pocket and I guess I just like shoved them in my pocket instead of like putting them on the chowder but <laughs> I had no idea I had no idea and they'd seen it on the feed and they were like you sure you don't want to and I was like had no idea that it had bacon in my pocket well it's good that you didn't pull it out of your pocket and put it on because that would have been I was called yeah time goes and like you go so um so yeah I mean I back to your question like how did it change um I was working front of the house. I'd taken a front of the house job just to like make more money because I had to, I was like working off a significant financial deficit. So I ended up waiting tables at Tal in Las Vegas. Um, For folks out there who don't know how monster Tal is, Tal is a monster. Beast. It's a beast. And it was like a 12, 13 hour, like front of the house shift. 
and everyone would just cry about it. I was like, this is nothing, this is fine. Um, and I made like sick money. It was exactly what I needed to do. Um, and it was, it was tough. So I got to a point where we were about to film the finale in Las Vegas. Um, and I couldn't turn my tables because like the show had continued to the point that like people were watching it all the time. And so it became really uncomfortable for me because they like wanted to talk to me about the show. And I was like, I just need you to finish your dumplings and leave. maybe have another round of cocktails and tip me well and then leave. Um, so it just got really weird and I, it was confusing. I wasn't ready for that level of attention. I wasn't ready for um, seeing myself on TV. I wasn't ready for like what the things that I ultimately learned that I needed to deal with. And then also how it was edited. It was just like a shitstorm of things that I, I just wasn't ready for. Um, the day before we went into the finale, I lost one of my best friends. Um, I knew she was dying, but like to like lose her then, it was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, and I, after it, I was just done. I was just so burnt and spent and wanted nothing to do with any of it. So um, I packed a couple bags and went to Nantucket and just went to Straight Wharf and stood in the corner and cooked fish for eight months. And it was exactly what I needed. It's, I think that's really, um, it's really important. You just said something there it's, and it's about, you know, not being prepared for what's coming. They don't teach us that. That was never part of the educational process. One of being a chef to being put in the limelight. Like none of us got into this in the beginning to be on TV, to be famous. We did it to make people happy. And it's now it's become a permanent necessity to keep the businesses moving forward, right? Let's be really crazy, right? <clears throat> because there's, but nobody teaches you how. It's not like there was PR training or training or like, hey, don't take personal training. Yeah. Hey, people are gonna like say a thousand things about you on blogs and on comment sections. And like, definitely you don't read it, but also don't let your mom read it. And like, this is, yeah, it wasn't just painful for me. It was painful for like people who loved me in my life and knew who I was and were like, what the fuck is this? To the point that like going back on, I mean, my mom was just like, why are you doing this to yourself? Um, and for me, it was like, I have to close this loop for me. I, I just, I, I needed to close the loop. Um, and it ended up being like a more positive than I expected experience, obviously, or else I would have just left it alone entirely. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it's a lot and you don't, you don't see it coming and you don't know how to deal with it. And so, um, I mean, there were good things I got out of it. Like, I think I had grown up in like fairly mm, borderline abusive kitchens. And so I had a lot of that chip on your shoulder. We're better than you. And that's a lot, how a lot of kitchens function. They like, you know, like talk shit about other restaurants. It used to be. Um, we're better than them and they suck and they blah, blah, blah. And like, and there's camaraderie for sure, but there's also a whole lot of shit talking that happens about other chefs and other kitchens. And this person doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. And, um, and all of that is ultimately insecurity, which you learn later, but um, it's currency in for, a, and it was for a long time. And so, you know, I, I, I was able to kind of see myself in a way that was like, I couldn't ignore it. It was right there. And it's like, yeah, that was editing. But I also like this shit came flying out of my mouth. And so there's some work here that needs to be done because there's this idea of like who you think you are and your how you are coming across is not matching up. Like there's a really significant delta between these two things. And like it's time to figure that out. And so as hard as it was in some ways, it was also a bit of a gift um, to be able to like have that just laid bare in front of me in a way that I couldn't ignore it. And I had to in order to be good with myself, figure it out and kind of figure, you know, suss out the difference in what I, who I am versus who I thought I was. I think that's, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I can say I lived the same moment when they filmed me opening Coxcomb. We were filming a full doc on construction of empty shell to finished product. And I saw the doc and I realized that I was really fucked up. And it took me seeing a video of myself in the moment, realizing how fucked up I really was. Yeah. And that's what spawned that conversation piece that was on Chef's Feed, which was about, you know, my mental health issues. And mm -hmm. I didn't 
recognize because you think like just like you said you see yourself as one thing but then when you see yourself literally see yourself in a different you're like man and i looked at it and i was like holy fuck i've lost my mind i'm crazy like i'm that shit crazy and that that changed everything yeah i mean i will say this kudos to both of us for at least like being vulnerable enough to have that moment because i think that um for a lot of people whether it's cooking or otherwise or you have a moment that like something's put in front of you it can be a gift it's going to be hard excruciating frankly but it can be a gift or you can lie to yourself in a thousand different ways about editing or about how this thing happened it was not fair to me and this was fucked up and blah 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 and like and you can deflect and you can lie to yourself until you're blue in the face and i see people poison their lives with that it's just like at some point like it fucking shitty truth is you got to sit in front of the mirror and have a really hard conversation with yourself about what you want for your life or you're just going to be on some like shitty hamster wheel blaming everyone else yeah i think that's um you know it's a really good point and i don't think enough people recognize that i think being able to recognize it is a really powerful thing and it's uh painful painful it's not fun it's not fun i mean i still deal with it so <laughs> I think we all do. We still do, right? Like the idea that like, okay, you and I had this moment, this epiphany, and like we went and just became like better people overnight. It's like, uh, no, it's a lot of work and it's constant work, but that's, that is the part of like continuing to, you know, want to get better and be a better person. It's, it's, there's no like there, right? Like there's no, like I'm here and we pour concrete over this. And then I'm just like this incredible person. I think you, there's steps of it where it's like, I, I'm not going to do this again. And I've learned this behavior and this is how I react to this thing. And I'm going to get to a point where I do pour concrete over that one thing and I'm not going back there. And that's unacceptable. And it's just constantly like, I mean, it's like a staircase, right? Like continuing to like pour concrete over another thing. And that's not going to be okay either, but it's also whack-a-mole because like another step comes up and like the steps just don't stop. And so you know, that's life, I guess. And that's like, not just, that's not just work, that's relationships and that's, that's everything. So it's constant work. So now that we've both talked about how we've dealt with our demons, but, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah. I mean, it's, it's learning how to get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting out of your own way. Um, having self-worth having understanding of what you want to be and how you want to treat others and how you want to progress into the world and um, just be a better person. It's, it's, takes a lot. It does. And it's a constant process and it's, you know, it's painful. It doesn't like, it's so much easier to stick your head in the sand and blame other people and like oh. just be angry and tell the world it's fucked up. I mean, it's, it's not ultimately, it's not going to lead you to the life that you want. It's easier. No, it's going to make you feel good for about two seconds to point fingers elsewhere until the finger points back at you and then you've got exactly. to deal with it. That's exactly well, I think, it. you know, let's talk about what you're doing now. And, you know, you have three great restaurants. You've been nominated for James Beard Award from Northeast three times. You know, you're working constantly, whether it be judging chops you have been on tournament of champions one and two uh we were there together at, at, at uh, tournament of champions two um you made the play in i didn't three and we three did. yeah and three. Well, we did three yeah we weren't on one we uh, let the take the first one and then uh you know you're i mean you're consistently busy right like it's non-stop um, plus your restaurants. So like, how are you balancing all that? And, you know, you build, you build great teams and each one is running the different restaurants and, you know, you have your, your hospitality company. Why don't you share a little bit about that and how you got there? Yeah. So I have my own big heart hospitality. Um, and that's the parent company under which, um, I have, um, three restaurants, three full service restaurants on Boylston street here in Boston, and then a bar, um, and then three food hall spaces that will open in March. Um, yeah, I know. Um, it's interesting. Like I used to be really afraid of growth, uh, for a long time. And then it, there's a couple things that can happen. And, and I'm not saying like, look, look, you plan and God laughs. She's funny like that. So we're in the most tenuous time we've ever been in, in restaurants. So like, I can't guarantee that all of them are going to make it through. I'm going to fight like hell and make, try to do my very best that they, that they do, but, um, there's no guarantees right now. So I have that and I have the restaurants. Um, I have an incredible senior leadership team 
um, that sort of as they're like big hard employees. And then under that, each restaurant has its own, its own sort of GM and chef and leadership team, like you would have in a normal restaurant. Um, one of the things that I learned kind of early on, like when I had my first restaurant, um, which was Sweet Cheeks, um, you know, I was, it's just, I was there, I lived there. It's, it never, you know, it was just constant, constant, constant work. Um, and then I got my investors paid back and thought maybe it's time to do another one. And I was able to do one in the same building, which was great. Two was miserable. Two was miserable. Two was a prison. Like, and I remember talking to a friend of mine that had multiple restaurants and he was like, Ed, how are, how do you like, what do you, he was like, oh, two is the fucking worst. He's like, get out of two. He's like, you have to get out of two. Um, so there's, I'm trying to figure out what this balance is about growth and what feels comfortable and what doesn't feel like a prison. And it sounds weird to say like two's not enough, but like there is um, an expectation that people have of you when you have two, that it's always going to be you doing the thing every day, all the time. It's like, I can't do that. It's not. Your name's at the door. They want to see you in there. Mm -hmm. And then I think once you have more projects, just from, it's about having conversations with your team about what's real and what their expectations of you should be, what you're providing through your leadership team for them to learn. So whether I'm in the room or I'm not in the room, um, what you're going to be learning, what you'll take away from this experience. And, and it has to be consistent whether I'm in the room or not. Obviously, like there's times that, you know, I'm, I, we're going to go deep with something where like I'm in the room and, and it's going to feel, you know, like, like the expectation of why you came to work for me, right? But it, I have to hire people and, and work with my teams to where the, they're still, they're, the same magic is there when my other chefs are working with line cooks and they feel like they're getting mentored and they're being taught and they're having the same sort of, um, you know, there's, it's interesting, like this is, in our industry, there's an expectation of like, it is a job and you will pay me, but I also like should be getting a lot from this and should be learning. Um, so it's almost like you should be paying me to go to school. And, um, so I have to make sure that that's consistent across the board and setting those expectations about, look, I'm, when I'm here, I'm here, when I'm in town, I'm here and I'm totally dedicated to my restaurants. I'm not always here. And I'm, I'm I film a lot and I travel a lot. And, and so understanding that I just need to make sure I'm maintaining and setting clear expectations of that. And I think about, um, and I think this is where women have a harder time. Sometimes, um, I feel guilt all the time. And I'm always like, guilt is a useless emotion. Like I will tell other people to like set the guilt down. It's a useless emotion. <laughs> I'm like riddled with it. Um, but I think about like working for the, some of the like very big chefs that I worked for when I was younger. And I never had an expectation that they were going to be like shoulder to shoulder with me in the kitchen. I just didn't have that expectation. I thought I would be like learning from their people. And, and I think sometimes as a woman, the expectation is that I should be in the kitchen every second of every day, always like standing next to like whatever, you know, cooks or chefs that I have. Um, and as much as I can, I do, but um, I get a lot of like, chef, we miss you. That I was like, I would never, like, it's sweet and I love them. Like, I, it feels really nice to hear, but like, I can't imagine like ever texting Todd English for being like, I miss you. <laughs> like, just. <laughs> never happened but you know what i mean that that says a lot right there that says worlds for you that they miss working with you and they want you to be there with them and i think that's the connectivity that the new generation wants they want that connectivity with their chef with who they're working with and aspiring to be right yeah. looking at you as like okay that's the goal right you are it's the fair. it's fair and i think your expectation and it's, it's hard. I, I understand the guilt thing. Like your guilt, like for me, I'm guilty. I'm not home. Then I'm guilty. I'm at the restaurant. I don't know how you do it with kids. I don't like, that was a very deliberate choice. And I was like, I can't do both. I just can't. It's a very, um, I can say the pandemic has been awful in a lot of ways, but the best thing to come out of it is I've spent more time with my family in the last two years than I have in the past 15. Yeah. And I mean, you and I talked about that when we were on the set of TSC, yeah. you know, and how much time I, I, I have enjoyed spending with them and, you know, being around with my son and being with my wife and being able to see him grow and go do things with, it, it's just, yeah, it's hard. It's awesome. I'm, yeah. It's, and it's, I think it's changed a lot of people and you, other people like, um, and we're in the thick and throes of figuring out how to like create more work-life balance in an industry that like doesn't give it 
does well just inherently is not structured for it like I can't change that people eat dinner at a certain time I can't and that's the time that you want to spend with your family and I can't change the fact that you know we have expectations of of being open and people have to physically be in a restaurant like you cannot work from home in a restaurant there's there's just shit I can't do, shit I can't change. Like No, yeah, and I think that there's the difficulty. It's, I think it's the, it, it's not that part, I think that needs the change. I think it's the, excuse me, expectation of the public for your, for you to be in eye shot every time they walk in the door, for you to have everything for them when they want it all the time. I think that's the expectation that has to change. It has to come from the public because Christmas Eve is a very busy time for all of the restaurants, but also that's a time for family, right? Same thing with New Year's Eve, same thing with New Year's brunch. Like, let's talk, I mean, we could lay it all out there, right? And be devil's advocate here for both, you know, for all of it, but I just think it's it's um, it's both sides. Yeah, I, um, I close without question, always Thanksgiving. We usually do some sort of like, we do what's called Thanksgiving on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So we close Wednesday and Thursday, one of my restaurants. Everyone's closed on Thanksgiving. Everyone's closed on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And December should be a banner month. And I will tell you, closing both of those days takes that PL down significantly. But it's also like, it's kind of a non-negotiable for me. It's like, I, people should be able to like spend time with their families. Good for you for doing that. That's a big, that is a big to-do. That's a big, you know big thing to take off the table there everybody talks. I don't think people understand how hard it is right like to make a decision like that it's like yeah you can say like oh we're gonna close Christmas Eve and Christmas Day sorry I'm pouring tea that's why I'm looking down all good uh, and um but like people don't understand the margins that restaurants live in right so like I can make that decision it's like it's not a decision that's easy to make and if we don't have like a banner amount of private parties in December like I'm basically taking myself down to like not a lot of profitability in order to like decide to take what should be like a monster month and like give people time with their families. It is within that, it's that close. Yeah, we, um, I, I've always wanted to close on Valentine's Day <laughs> just because I don't want to deal with the drama. <laughs> it's, you know, what's interesting is um, Valentine's Day still kind of like remains like one of the harder days to work. To work. I think what we've done is we we take the level of difficulty in the kitchen down to like, down a few notches and we it sort of give people what they want day um and then if we're gonna like ratchet up difficulty we do it on our time like not when people are expecting this like multi-course kind of there's a thing i'm not talking about the food i'm just talking about the customer i hear you yeah i don't want to do you know what's not the same anymore right how many table deuces do you have to rent like nightmare Look at you, you're thinking about it. It's coming soon. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we'll see how it, how it susses out this year. I think people are happy to gather again, but um, you know what's not the same anymore? <laughs> Is New Year's Eve. It hasn't been the same for years. Yeah. Like we do like tastings and ticketed events and like people just don't have the appetite for it. And if they do, I think they're going to like super high end hotels and stuff. But like, um, it's interesting. It just hasn't had the same thing that it used to have i just run the regular menu and a couple specials and that's it i don't yeah. try to just keep it simple and have it yeah. fun and like just let people enjoy what we do i think that's yeah. the most important thing and i i've always felt that sometimes the holidays can be a little bit of a flogging on both parties right a little bit of one yeah <laughs> i'm being pc here right now which yeah, is not normal for me <laughs> <laughs> no it's um I there's a, a chef in town that um closed on Valentine's Day once and I was just like he had just opened his first restaurant I just thought what are you doing what are you doing like you it, it's it's like is there a part of us that wants to do it yes is it like the most petulant child behavior and a bad business decision yes of course like, you have to be a business person in this you can't like follow every whim that you have as like a shitty you know petulant line cook to be like I don't want to do that it's like well you have your responsibilities are greater. So it's not just making the decision that you want to make. Yeah. And I think that's, that's another part that, that isn't really um, passed on to us as cooks and moving up into management and then ownership is those business savvy sense and business education isn't something that's mentored into us or trained to us. There's no, you know, I went to a food service management component of my schooling, but it didn't prepare me for this in no. any way, shape or form. No, there's none, there's no, 
and even people that have like business degrees, I think there's even like a, without being in the restaurant industry, there's like a sort of lack of understanding of the restaurant industry that they have. Like even people that have come in as like, you know, straight up business people, they they apply um, business ethos and um, techniques that don't always work in our industry. Like I always say like running restaurants is like being a drug dealer. Like you have to like, you have to give a lot away to get a lot. You have to like, give people what they want. And then you have to like get smart about how you're doing it very quickly. So um, yeah, it, it's a learn on the job kind of thing. And I think you either have the instincts to be able to be both a chef and a leader and a business person, or you don't. And that's why I think a lot of people end up with business. I don't have any business partners. Like um, I had two, I bought them both out and um, you know, for better or for worse, there are days I just feel like really fucking overwhelmed, but then there's days that I'm like, I don't like, I don't want to have to run this by someone else who's who's going to make a decision that I know is not the right thing I have to say you got me really good with the caviar cannoli by the way I was like with what caviar cannoli I was like fuck ah! up with that one fuck she got me <laughs> I always love playing you know I mean, you and I both like like tweaking and having fun I saw caviar cannoli I just went mm. <laughs> you know what's interesting about it is I thought um I thought the fried shell might like fuck with the delicate nature of like of the caviar and it didn't it was so good it was almost like you know it's like what how why we like chips with caviar and so the like little bit of like like deep fried vibe from the cannoli shell was like this is really good and i thought i thought they were gonna clash and they didn't are they are they a permanent fixture now on the menu they're um they're an off-menu secret item so you can order them at any time at orfano when you come in i'm doing them at south beach so are you going to south beach we're, um, I'm going to get raped, well, I shouldn't say raped, but um, I'm going to get killed. Um, yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Hopefully they're really little ones. <laughs> they're little ones. They're very little. And so- How, how many staff are coming with you? <laughs> there's some, but the other part is like, I'm going to, it's it's going to need to be like a ticketed, like now serving 78. Like, cause if I see caviar, I will go to like a brunch where I know they'll have a kilo of caviar. <laughs> And I'll just like eat all the fucking caviar. I was like, here's my hundred bucks. Just give me the kilo of caviar. <laughs> That's so bad. So, so bad. what's next for you? Um, yeah, next the food is, halls opening, right? Yeah, the food halls are opening March 1st. So getting those all open, um, which that's going to be a lot of fun. It's um, a raw bar, a pizza joint, and then a champagne focused wine bar with hot dogs and popcorn. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, getting that open. And then I have reconcepted Tiger Mama into something that we'll talk about in the next couple of months. So right after the food halls, I'll go right into that. Um, I don't know, I have, I have, I have an inkling it might be like a, a kind of crazy year. So um, there's, there's a lot of projects that are kind of, you know, it's interesting in like in TV land, everything is nothing until it is, but there's a lot of like little nothings out there right now. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I get that. So let's play a game. This is, ah! it's a game super fast um it's just question and answers there's no right answers there's no wrong answers it's all just opinion and you know what they say about opinions right everyone's got one <laughs> just like assholes everybody's got one okay so hamburger hot dog hot dog ketchup mustard mustard whole grain dijon both both <laughs> Different for different things, right? Like on my hot dog, probably whole grain. Nice. Okay. Uh, oh, wait a second. What hot dogs are you going to use at the at the new spot? Uh, we have uh, Wagyu hot dogs that we're using right now. They're delicious. So they make them in like little guys too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Have you ever tried Soggies? Yes. I grew up with those. Did you? Oh yeah. Wait, you told me about these. They I think the you told me about them. Snap and I found them. Best yep. snap oh, yeah. ever. We used to have them, and they used to be. Back when I was a kid growing up, I went to a Catholic school on the hill that overlooked the train tracks and then the original Narragansett Brewing facility in Providence, Rhode Island. I always forget that you're from Rhode Island. You're a roadie so, guy. I mean, we used to have soggies boiled in ganny as a kid, so they would just snap. It was just... Another question. Dirty water dogs are grilled. The dirty water. Dirty water. 
when we do when we have hot dog day at staff meal we have to have them both because like my culinary director and i are like firmly on other sides he wants them grilled to their like black and crispy and i want dirty water dogs oh well i, I mean i grew up with new york system wiener yeah and that for people out there who don't know david byrne worked at new york system wiener when he went to RISD, and he used to work the late shift so when i was a kid i got to go there and he was there that's amazing right um but yeah i mean full-on gagger everything on it yep i'm here for it and i don't get weird about there's a whole like east coast thing about like no ketchup on your hot dog like i don't give a fuck put whatever you want on your hot dog like Just hot dogs are like wine drink what you want eat what you want like stop being a dick about what you put on your hot dog <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny okay oysters on the half shell clams on the half shell oysters you're in boston and you don't do you know what and I'm also a lesbian. I just said oysters over clams, but <laughs> you are so funny. Um, I love clams. Not many people do like them on the half shell. I like grilled clams on the half shell. I'm not a big like raw clam person. Sometimes it, that's a difficult one for a lot of people. It Have really you had the, um, the clams with um, almond milk and EXO at Wild Air in New York? uh i cannot remember no i have not had that one i haven't had i didn't eat it while there i did the one next door they're so good oh my god it's next time you're in new york stop by just so good okay lobster crab see now you're stuck because you're in lobster land and you came from dungeness crab land you know a crab honestly if i'm just gonna eat one straight up it's gonna be crab but with but any sort of sauce made out of lobster over crab yeah, American sauce is so good. Yeah. I love it. It's definitely addicting. Beef or pork? Pork. Chicken duck. Chiduckin. <laughs> <laughs> like everyday chicken, like I crush, I like fried chicken, chicken wings, I'll crush that. Like I think about if I had to go back. Like when you give me these questions, like what I think about is like for the rest of my life ever and ever amen right and so it's like well could I give like this is where I go in my crazy ass head where I'm like well I could never like go without eating chicken wings again and then I would have to eat like duck breast every day and it's rich and would that get old and would I get tired of it but I would still never get tired of fried chicken I'm a fucking crazy person <laughs> like 30 seconds in my head brown spirits white spirits uh depends on how I want to feel the next morning good answer red wine white wine on how I want to feel the next morning. White wine on the regular, red wine if I'm eating like with food. Dark beer, light beer? Uh, shitty beer, the shittiest possible. Oh, you're a low brow. You're like, you're like a, uh, yeah, you want the low ABV you want. Like we call, oh. I like call those lawnmowers. Lawnmower. Oh, lawnmower beers. We have a category on its Pucci, so it's called lawnmower beers. Um, I used to, I worked in a brewery for I worked at Pyramid in Berkeley for a long time. And I used to like crush like Scotch ales and IPAs and like, I was totally that person that would just like chew an IPA it would be like, this needs more hops. And then I don't know what happened. Like something hit and I was like, none of that anymore. And then like, I would prefer a Bud Light. I want a Tecate. I want a Presidente. Like I want shitty. They, have their place. they all have their place. They think they that's do. really important. And that's why this question thing is all about fun because yeah. everything has its place. Nothing's right and nothing's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. It's just opinion. But I also, like, I think things happen, you get older and like, I can't crush an IPA anymore. Like, I feel like I'm going to have a baby. Like, I just like, I can't eat anything and have an IPA at the same time. I'm like, this is fucking miserable. Pizza calzone. Pizza. Dude, does, has anyone answered calzone? Mm -hmm. Oh, fuck that guy. Whoever that was. They're good if you get a good one. Yeah, okay. if you get a good one, that's a problem. Meatball or sausage? Meatball. Pasta, noodles. I'm trying to figure out, we do a rice or pasta. Um, we have an ongoing debate about rice or pasta um, and rice and all the things rice can make and pasta and all the things that are categorized yeah. as pasta. Um, noodles, I think. Dumplings, ravioli. Dumplings. Burrito, taco. Taco. Paella risotto. Paella. You know that that's actually the biggest heated debate ever. Well, because one, one's it's that one's fun because I fight with Jose on it. I just tell him the reason they make paella is because they were too lazy to stir the rice. 
Italians with two fire. <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. <laughs> oh, we do this. It's constant. It's you know what Jose is? Lazy. <laughs> Can I think of a word to describe Jose Andres? Jose Andres is far from lazy, but it's just the funniest thing in the world to be like, you guys are just too lazy to stir the rice. <laughs> you guys are dumb. You guys have to like put something in the oven and go on siesta. Yeah, it's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, um, a good risotto is rare. Um, it's hard to come by. Like it's, it's hard and people have different ideas about ris what risotto really is and the consistency and Remember when it used to be a mound on the plate when it used to be a pyramid? And it was like, like, oh my God, it was awful. People would put them in like shaped things or like ring molds or then they would stay in a ring mold. That's not fucking risotto. Blue. And then it's like, you start making it the proper way where it's loose and creamy and luscious. And people are like, oh my God, you don't know how to make risotto. I was like, oh God, who was the asshole who put it in? <laughs> who's the asshole who put it in the tower for so long thanks for ruining it for the rest of us yeah i feel like it's time for risotto to have a bit of a comeback i feel like it got like really beat up for a long time it got left in the dust with like coolie and like encrusted things so it might be time i love it i love risotto uh, i love making it i never think to make it i never ever think to make it i love it it's I, I think it's one of my favorites. You know what I hate? I will say this, and I don't get why people do it. I find it just texturally bonkers and so odd, and I hate it. I don't know why people always want to put seared scallops on risotto all the time. Oh like, my God. Get them off of the fucking risotto. It doesn't, like, they don't go together. You it's have just, no many, you have no idea how many times I've had that argument. Just do a side of risotto with scallops on it. No, I won't do no, it. No. no. And why do people, people, you put scallops on risotto on a menu, you can't keep that shit in house. People will like order it left, right, and center. It's just like, that is a hill I will die on forever. Like that's, they don't belong together. They no. don't. You want to do a seared scallops thing? Do a seared scallop. You want to do a risotto thing? Do a risotto thing. Just don't put them together. <laughs> why do we have to do the world's work, Chris? Why? You just, you just hit a button, a hot button with me. That has been something that has been like i'm just like no i'm not gonna do it nope I know. no, don't don't no yep. thanks but it's yep. delicious people buy it i don't care yeah like like and it just i can't do it i can't do it so weird it's just like the weirdest texture oh, yeah so bad okay favorite candy gummy bears like no question i was raised on them in germany i literally just sorry what hard about no question and like okay here's the question do you leave the package open for a few days so they get firm or do you like them super simple? I like them both. I like them fresh. And then I also like, so I literally just have a three pound bag that I like separated into like little mini bags and two of them are open and one of them is closed. Um, it's, I'm, I'm psycho about them. And then it's also like which ones and I like, I'll order the like, I'll go and find like weird sites because Haribo USA doesn't have like the good German or like European flavors. So I'll go like, I it's like, it's like I'm a teenager ordering B-sides, but it's like candy. I'm a Swedish fish dude, and you gotta leave, <gasps> yes! you gotta leave the package open, and they gotta yeah. dry out a little bit because if they're too soft, they're not ripe. But if they're too hard, they're not right either. I have an association with Haribo and skiing. Really? And being out, yeah. There was just about I don't know what it is, but as a kid when I went skiing, Haribo was like the reward for going in the freezing cold right so i just always associate and that's how i associate like beef stews and and, and like stroganoff and and, and uh Kokovan and things like that i just always associate it with the cold and being up in the snow so it's that time here everyone's just like it's stew everywhere and it's like crockpot beans and it's like all of that stuff that i love deeply yeah yeah boston baked beans oh man no on the ground beans all around yep Awesome. Yep. Okay. Uh, favorite fast food? Popeyes. Guil that's actually Popeyes. Uh, guilty pleasure? Food-wise? Mm -hmm. I don't have any guilt around things. Like, if I like it, I like it. Like, fuck it. Um, like, shitty Chinese food? Like, really shit. Like, I know it's going to be, like, greasy and bad. <laughs> I'm gonna say this is like this is not PC and this is not. Can I say this? This is not. I don't care. It's your. I'm not editing it, so it's on you. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, 
really shitty, greasy Chinese food is like porn. Like it's a good idea until you're done and then you're just like grossed out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chocolate or fruit? <laughs> fruit. What would your last meal be? Um, a fried chicken sandwich loaded with mayonnaise and caviar. Sounds pretty special. Yeah. I can't believe I just said that. Why? It's awesome. Tiffany, thank you. Thank you for being here. It's Chris, thank you. So if people want to find you, if they want to find your restaurants, where's the best place for them to look online? Um, bigheartHospitality.com um, or me on social at Tiffany Faison on Instagram, and that'll lead you to everything that you need. So guys, if you are in Boston, please run. Don't walk. Um, but be careful because it's slippery right now. And <laughs> you know, check her out on social media. She's got all sorts of fun stuff going on. Um, I am very fortunate to have known Tiffany for a long time. We won't okay. say a long time. Um, actually, Tiffany ate at Encanto, so it's that's before she moved to Bo back to Boston. It's true. It's true. When I was still bartending, I think. Yeah. Oh shit, that's true. Yeah. No, I think it's when you opened the restaurant when you opened Twenty Four. Yeah, probably. Your brother, twice you came in. Once yeah. by yourself and once with your brother. That would, that would have been like 2006, seven. Probably. Yeah. Was gonna move back for a minute. Yeah. Feels like forever ago. Wow. <laughs> Long time. Well, thank you again. Everybody, make sure you check her out. Lots of fun. A lot of cool things coming. She's busy. Busier than anybody. I can't keep up half the time. So thank you. Cheers, everybody. Look out for the next one. <laughs>